Welcome to the Gut Doctor Podcast, where Dr. Neil Parikh describes GI disorders and answers common questions related to the GI tract. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We hope you enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today I have the pleasure of inviting a former colleague and good friend of mine, Dr. Thiru Muniraj. He's the director of the Yale Center for Pancreatitis and Associate Chief of Digestive Health at Yale New Haven. Thiru, thank you so much for joining me. And today we're gonna to talk pancreatic cancer. Thanks, Dean, thanks for having me. So pancreatic cancer, I think, friends all, all of us. Um, patients, providers, family members, mostly because it seems like it's this finding that nobody thinks of until it's too late. The symptoms seem to be vague, subtle, can you tell us the symptoms that you think of when you think of pancreatic cancer? Yeah, I think you like you pointed out, pancreatic cancer could be so hard to diagnose, especially in early stages. And that's one of the reasons why whenever we see a pancreatic cancer patient, more than 50% of the time, they're already metastatic. That means it's spread somewhere else away from the pancreas. That's because uh, the signs and symptoms of pancreatic cancer is so subtle. Sometimes patients may have mild bowel issues like nausea and vomiting uh, or abdominal pain, which could be from anything, right? So we won't think of pancreatic cancer right away. I had a patient who had a back pain, went to orthopedic surgeon first before coming to me. Sometimes it's being present with the back pain. When someone has a jaundice, which is yellow discoloration of skin or dark urine, that's somewhat easy. And the patients get medical attention right away and they get blood tests and further testing done. So it's kind of a little bit easier to diagnose in that setting. And otherwise, say someone may have weight loss, which um, often is hard to achieve, right? Someone may say that I lost 30 pounds of weight in the last one month. And you ask them, was it easy to lose? No, I was working out. But was it easy to lose? They'll say yes. Such an easy weight loss, which is unexplained, often says that there's some kind of underlying cancer. That's, I mean, that's so scary. 50% metastatic or spread beyond the pancreas at diagnosis is just a very humbling and scary number. And, you know, theory, you're right. I mean, the symptoms, obviously, when it's dark urine or yellow skin like jaundice, then it's obvious. But I feel like more often than not, it's not screaming at us, like not staring us in the face. So um, okay. I guess because it's so subtle, some of this presentation, we should be mindful of risk factors, right? What what are the risk factors for pancreatic cancer? Yeah, risk factors for pancreatic cancer, some of the risk factors are like for any cancer, like cigarette smoking is one of the common risk factor. And uh, chronic pancreatitis, if someone has chronic pancreatitis, again, that could be from cigarette smoking or alcohol, that puts one in a high risk to get a pancreatic cancer. And a very small proportion of patients, may I would say 10% of pancreatic cancer, has family history, so they have genetic predisposition. If someone first degree relative having pancreatic cancer, then probably have to think more about it. Another interesting association is between diabetes and pancreatic cancer. Someone having a long-standing diabetes, say type 2 diabetes for many, many years, 
puts them at a slightly increased risk to get pancreatic cancer. At the same time, if you see someone like 50-year-old having a nuanced diabetes, especially with the weight loss, that tells us that could be either risk factor or just telling us that there could be underlying pancreatic cancer already. I mean, as you mentioned diabetes, so I was going to ask you, dietary and lifestyle changes, obviously, you know, finger blood sugar control for diabetics, but are there any other dietary lifestyle changes one can make to reduce the risk beyond smoking cessation? That's a good point, Neil. Like, uh, apart from uh, all smoking cessation, having healthy life habits, if someone is obese, obesity has shown to be a risk factor for both diabetes and any cancer. So having a good lifestyle, checking your weight could might help prevention of pancreatic cancer in some way. So when you start thinking of pancreatic cancer, um, whether it's a subtle symptom like unintentional weight loss you mentioned, or a more obvious symptom, you know, dark urine, yellow skin, and you have these risk factors, what is your diagnostic algorithm? How, how do you test people? Because I know it's tricky. You know, when someone has clinical suspicion of pancreatic cancer, obviously you ask for some basic lab work to look for any elevation of the liver numbers. That tells us that they're really jaundiced or not. But beyond that, the first test I usually ask for is a CT scan with pancreas protocol. So that CT scan is usually very sensitive. More than 90% of the time, we're able to see a small, even one centimeter mass in the CT scan. And if that CT scan shows that mass or the radiologist calls it as a mass in the pancreas, I often ask for a blood test called CA19-9, which is a biomarker for pancreatic cancer. And this biomarker often elevated in 85 to 90% of patients who have pancreatic cancer. Usually we don't use this test to diagnose pancreatic cancer, but once there's a mass, then we ask for this level. So elevated level, we use that as a baseline to uh, prognosticate or follow these patients later on, whether they're having a good response or if any recurrence later on. And after this initial test like CAT scan and the CA99, you know, as you know, any cancer tissue is the issue. Unless you have a biopsy proven diagnosis of cancer, um, you know, it's hard to start the oncological treatment. So to get a biopsy of a pancreatic cancer, one of the most commonly used method is endoscopic ultrasound. We use EUS to get into the pancreas, to get a small sample from the pancreas, and then um, Further to that, then we ask for further staging CAT scan, like to see if the cancer has spread anywhere else, to the chest or to the pelvis. Um, so these are the usual diagnostic modalities I use, Neil. So the CT scan is very helpful and can be very accurate, at least in ruling things out um, or identifying things. And then you mentioned the endoscopic ultrasound. Can, can you tell our listeners, our non-medical listeners, a little more about the endoscopic ultrasound? Yeah. Endoscopic ultrasound is like any other endoscopy. You know, the, it has a long tube with a camera at the end of this tube, which we pass through your mouth. And then it goes down. At the end of this endoscope, at the tip of the scope, there's a small ultrasound probe. 
pancreas lies just behind the stomach. So once we are in the stomach with this endoscope, we scan through the stomach wall, and then we can see the pancreas real time very clearly, precisely. And uh, this endoscope has a small channel which allows a needle to pass through. Then we can pass this needle through the stomach wall once we identify the mass in the pancreas and we can take a tiny tissue from the pancreas and, um, and we often look at that uh, sample under a microscope on real time too. This is usually done under anesthesia, not necessarily with uh, breathing tube, but just with IV anesthesia. And this procedure is usually performed as an outpatient and it only takes 30 to 40 minutes time to do this. That's great. I mean, you can get diagnosis too. Um, there are any newer blood tests? I know we come across these new assays and markers. I know there's some stuff out there. Anything that you think is going to be changing our algorithm soon or anything that you may be recommending in the near future? That's a good question, Neil. I think a lot of research going on in newer blood markers and uh, non-invasive ways to diagnose pancreatic cancer. But as of now, as of today, except the CA19-9, the test I mentioned earlier, there's no other clear blood test which can um, either prognosticate or diagnose pancreatic cancer now. So Thiru, to wrap up, you know, once a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer is made, a team is involved, right? So what are the other medical providers your patients typically get referred to? Nilas, uh, the pancreatic cancer needs different modalities of treatment like a surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. So often I involve a pancreatic surgeon, an oncological surgeon, and a medical oncologist and a radiation therapist very closely in further care. And always we may need help from interventional radiologist and other nutritionist and allied staff to get the ball rolling. So it's definitely a team effort. And I, you know, I'm not going to get into the treatment options. I think that's a whole different episode and beyond the scope of what we want to do today. Um, but clearly, once the diagnosis is made, um, the patient, the primary providers, the GI providers, and oncology, surgery, radiology all have to get together and work together. So, Theo, thank you so much. Um, I think this was a great, quick insight into pancreatic cancer, which for many, again, providers and patients is, is a scary disease because of its subtle onset. So hopefully this sheds some light. And as I tell all my listeners, if there's questions after you listen to one of our episodes and there's concerns, speak with your providers. That's the whole point. Theory, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.